You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to a new episode. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, streaming, subscribing, liking, sharing, and all that good stuff. Hope you're doing well. All right. In this episode, we're going to look at this part in Romans 8 and consider, um, we're going to be considering a couple of things. The use of the word creation and uh, the uh, the the um, revealing of the children or the sons of God. Okay, so here and here's why. Um, <laughs> all my all my um, oh, how should I even say it? I just brain farted. I'm always saying audience relevance. Right, so my focus, that focus on audience relevance, the original audience who wrote this, what were they going through, what is the context, it comes into play. And so talking to a couple of people about the view that I hold on eschatology and um, all of that, whether it's totally fulfilled or not, if there's anything left, people keep saying the same thing. Well, I'm going to wait. I'm still waiting, though, for the, you know, when Jesus returns, redeems the earth. Okay. Which is uh, a place where I was at for a while as well in in considering my, my transition in, as catalogical beliefs. So, um was like, well, I don't really think, you know, now I don't see that in Scripture that much. Started to think about it, and I was like, oh, it's Romans 8. Um, starting in verse 18, <clears throat> we'll get there in a minute, but it's 18 through 23. So, uh, I was like, here we go, here's one of those things, right? And... Um, in considering this, you have to consider the context and the immediate, the surrounding, and the whole general context of so the whole uh, the whole letter of Romans there as well. And I started to read it, and I started to uh, think about it, and was like, I don't know if this is the earth in which it's talking about, the whole creation, right? And when it says the whole creation has been groaning. That's what we're going to consider, and we're going to be reading some notes from a guy named Tony Denton. So it's not all my words here, but I've listened extensively to several teachings and lessons on both the past and the future uh, tense of this, that this is a transition period, just like in Hebrews. 
All right, well, much like the, the whole 40 years from the cross to 70 AD, and then also that this is uh, the future, this is end. It is an eschatological text. The question is, is it future for us, or was it future for them? And I think it was future for them. Now, if you have a Bible, the heading that's been put there by men, okay, the headings are not inspired, but in the ESVs I have opened here, it says future glory. So I obviously don't disagree with that. There's a future glory that's being spoken of here by Paul. So let's just read the text first, okay? So this is Romans 8, start at 18. Um, 18, probably, t- well, we'll go... Th- Yeah, well, this is 23, maybe 24. We'll see. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, all right, so this is is Paul writing in the first century. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Again, first century. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Hmm. Obtain, okay, there's a creation that will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So there's children of God, it seems, uh, there, right? Okay, so for for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved now. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay, so commentaries. I have two Bibles open here. I'm going to read the commentaries. And it, it says creation is personified in this verse. In the following verses, in order to emphasize the wonder of the future glory of God's sons, who are believers, who have the right of, of inheritance of all that God has in store for them. And it says, when Adam sinned, the created world was also subjected, subjected to futility. One thinks of the thorns and thistles that were to accompany work in Genesis 3, the pain in childbirth for women, and the re- repeated refrain that all is vanity in Ecclesiastes. The original creation, Genesis 1 and 2, did not have these things. <laughs> and on the last day, it also will be transformed and freed from the effects of sin and will instantly become far more beautiful, productive, and easy to live in than one can ever imagine. <laughs> well, what's the last day? So here, here's the, this is futurist commentary. Uh, 
the last day would be the, the very last day of the world, and there is no last day of the world. Um, so there, there I'm like, okay. And then it, then it says, again, creation is personified, showing that it also longs for the day when the salvation that has already begun in God's children will be completed. God's people also groan and long for the completion of his saving work. So, the tension is seen here between the already and not yet in Paul's theology. Christians already have the first fruits of the Spirit, but they still await the day of their final adoption when their bodies are fully redeemed and they are raised from the dead. I, I see that. I don't have a problem with that there, in my views. So, their adoption has already occurred in a legal sense, which was mentioned in verse 15. We didn't read. And they, they already enjoy many of its privileges. But here, Paul uses adoption to refer to the yet greater privilege of receiving perfect resurrection bodies. I'm not sure about that, though. Okay, so let's read another one. Another commentary. Okay, so creation. Personification of all created things beings and things and it waits with intense expectation of the revealing of the sons of god so this is full disclosure of the new transformed existence in heaven so here it's saying it's in it's heaven and not a new earth all right so and then again a, a reference to genesis 3 and god's curse on the ground but it says him, Adam, because of Adam's sin, the creation also came under God's judgment. Nothing in creation has since been able to fulfill its God-given purposes. And then in 21, it says, when freedom from the law of sin and death reaches its glorious consummation, creation itself will experience a new beginning. Um, and it will. it gives you some cross-references here in Psalms 102. Which I'll bring up early uh, later in this in this use of the word word creation, and so it says creation is now trapped in the endless cycle of deterioration leading to death. So Paul focuses on the indescribable glory that awaits believers, and for creation's yearning to be free from the change and death in its current state. And with the mention of pains of childbirth, this is implying that there will be an end to the anguish. And as the first fruits of the harvest indicate, more is to come, so the Holy Spirit and his work guarantee future blessing. And the groan, as Christians have, have this, uh, uh, groan inwardly, and oh, that says, See what I just read. And then adoption, it says Christians have this status now, verse 15, and yet do not have it in its fullness, in verse 19. Uh, and then the redemption of our bodies is transformation of our bodies in the resurrection. I, I don't have a problem with the transformation of our, our bodies or being our, or, uh, receiving a spiritual physical body or whatever it is. I don't know. But my question is, um, was the world under the curse? Is, is the, did God curse the entire creation or was the curse on man? 
And to me, it seems that the curse was on man. And the reason why I say that is because he says, you'll be cursed. And he mentions the ground. He does. Um, but you have to remember, he's in the garden. And then he puts him outside of the garden. Was was the ground hard to work outside of the garden? Or was it not? Well, something we don't know. But we'll look here. After he talks about the woman and the offspring and all that, it, um, it says, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I command commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and the dust you shall return. All right. Now, if you were to go a little bit ahead in Genesis, you're going to see how Noah's dad is, says, hey, he's the one who's going to free us. Free us from what? Think most people think that it's um, the curse. So, in Genesis 8, uh, 21, it says, And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice from Noah. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So, was the ground actually uh, cursed? And does, does that curse stay? And then he's simply saying, I will never curse the ground again answers i don't have these answers i'm just sharing what i go through okay so but here's what i think and a lot of people are on the even my friends they think these things we don't see the world the like the actual creation cursed okay we see mankind being cursed all right the man had to work and toil he wasn't he was just going to cultivate in the garden outside he has to work the ground women would have had no pain at childbirth in the garden but outside they're going to have birth pains all right now we read of the birth pains in romans 8 and also um i've explored the 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 whole comparison there that this in this changing of old covenant to new covenant was related to to uh, birth pangs as well okay so people to me seem like when they say the creation has been cursed you know they they act like once sin entered into humanity that the the earth just grew tectonic plates then you know sin just happened to to uh, grow these tectonic plates, which would mean that it would imply that sin has the ability to 
create actual things, created things within the creation, but I don't think that would be the case. It can create bad, like, things in men, um, but can it create in the earth, you know? And then all of a sudden, uh, lions were, you know, they were, you know, vegetarians and then began to eat other animals. But the word lion in Hebrew means violent, uh, or violence. So perhaps, you know, uh, if if Adam named the creatures, maybe he saw how the lion was acting, and that's what he named him lion for, because this was an animal that was violent. People don't want to try to think that there were animals that were killing each other, and so it was after the fall that some animals decided to eat other animals and they grew fangs and big claws. The earth just started to decide then that it would have earthquakes and volcanoes would go off and things like that. I think it's just the way in which God created the world for it to take care of itself. We know from earthquakes there's pressure building up. And all these things have to shift, so these plates move, and that makes the, uh, the you know, the earthquake. Same with volcanoes, pressure, and, and, and all this type of stuff. The earth is built like the human body in which it knows how to act and react when it's going through things. The human body has ways of fighting and attacking viruses or infections or as soon as you get cut, what happens? The blood's going to start to coagulate and and all that, you know. God made the bodies this way. So, um, (laughs) I don't think the world, uh, like as in the, like, trees and plants and animals were cursed but the curse was on man that he was now going to have to work. And women are now going to have uh, pain and all this with, with childbirth, okay? So, link the intro on that, when we, but have to lay some groundwork. Um, it, it's, it's I, I don't think that's the case. So, with that in mind, um, let's go back up real fast and read 15 uh, through 17, okay, and, uh, in Romans 8. He says, for, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children then, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, so Paul, Paul who, who the, the people Paul's writing to here, they had received the spirit of adoption in, op- uh, in opposition to the spirit of bondage. This spirit was, was their assurance that they Okay, as joint heirs with God's Son, were chosen by the Lord to be snatched out of the bondage of fearful slaves and into this liberty of beloved children. Okay, the children of God. Now, if you want to cross-reference this, you can look up. I'm not going to go through all these verses because there's a, a lot, and I'm going to try to make it simplistic. Um, but I'll give you the other verses, okay? Second S- uh, Timothy 1 7 
Romans 8, 38 and 39, and Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Okay, so why were they suffering at this time if they had received the spirit of adoption as children in contrast to the spirit of, uh, of the bondage as slaves, right? Because this entire section in Romans 8 is teaching that they were in the midst of a period of transition or transformation. They had yet to receive the fullness of their inheritance, and their suffering was part of this new covenant probation stipulation, if you will, for the eternal inheritance, something in which they were actually to be overjoyed since, verse, as verse 18 says, it was beyond compare. So, when when Paul wrote, Every, every letter he wrote, if, if it's not directly geared toward encouraging the suffering, uh, there's a percentage of it devoted to reassur- reassurance of the light at the end of, of what is happening as being something which would far be better, far outshine any afflictions that they were enduring at that current time. He wrote, wrote a lot about this to those in Philippi. Uh, they were encouraged to do as as he was doing and rejoice in distress for uh, to do the to to do to the reward of it all. Right? He spoke of their suffering for Christ as being um, an honor. Okay. Um, so now um, let's let's go to twenty four through thirty and and read that that little section okay for for in this hope we are saved now hope that is that is seen as not hope for for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And and we know that that for those, I'm sorry, <laughs> and we know for that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And verse 30, it says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, so I think here we, we should see that they were still at that time and this peri- they were in a period of hope. And... Uh, due to their hope, it's a period they could eagerly uh, persevere in. So even though it was a time of groanings, right, they could have faith in knowing uh, or faith in the knowledge that God who gave them this spirit knew the mind of the, of the spirit that would and could relay their needs to the Father in prayer um, while they could rest in the assurance that God was working out all things for their eternal good. Uh, he's the great architect and conductor, 
right here, and for them to be conformed to the image of his son, uh, to be justified and glorified, making them more than conquerors, and it goes on and on, and, and any uh, of any and in, in all tribulation, distress, persecution. That goes later in, in verses 37 and, well, 30, 35 through 37. So in the midst of all this, Encouraging remarks concerning this transition from slaves of law, okay, this was under the old covenant system, to children of grace under the new covenant system, and Paul uh, Paul has this explanation of what uh, they were then experiencing, okay, and that gets us to, uh, builds that foundation to look clearly again at verses 18 through 23. So focus then on verse 18 with this phrase, okay? Like, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, okay? So we want to specifically uh, put our attention here on this phrase. It's the or this present time. Remember audience relevance, time statements, time references, all that type of stuff that's going on in Scripture, okay? So the original word for the present um, could be translated as the current or the now, okay? So it refers to the generation in which Paul was writing to and living uh, in 2,000 years ago, okay? So there's two Greek words for time, there's chronos, and that, that refers to time in its general, ordinary sense. And then there's a, a kairos, and it refers to something that's much more specific, okay? Um, chronos is the, the interval at which something is done. Kairos is the time suitable for the action, all right? So chronos can be kairos, but kairos is not chronos, all right? Kairos is the uh, a appropriateness of what is done occurring the chrono. Now, the English word time is kairos, so the specific term referring to the set and proper time. The time that was proper for the fulfillment of prophecy is set by God. Okay, so... um, Another interlinear translation of the Greek reads, the now appointed time, and the phrase, the now, emphasizes the appointed time, as if to say in translation, the appointed time which is now, okay, referring only to the sufferings of a specific era or age, not the sufferings of all saints uh, from Adam all the way up to us today. Now, don't get don't get a, offensive there. There are certainly tribulations and trials and sufferings of present day believers. We cannot deny that, and there are other verses to teach those things, okay, and to give us hope and comfort. All of this can still, even here in Romans eight, we don't have to throw that out. There is still applicability here, but in this context, okay, that's what I'm pointing out. So we have to notice how detailed Paul is in the one verse. He's writing of the appointed time for the fulfillment of God's prophecies concerning the revelation of his kingdom. He's emphasized that that appointed time 
by his choice of this Greek word for now in the mid-50s, all right, when he wrote this, and he wrote of it as being revealed in them, okay, their generation. And remember, all these things will happen in this generation, right? 40 years, okay? So, according to Paul, when was the appointed time or the fulfillment of prophecy? In that generation, okay? So, Paul has also chose the same phrase in two other instances in Romans 3, 25, 26, when it says God set forth his son to be atoned, to be an atonement by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed in order to demonstrate his righteousness in the now appointed time, which that, that would be in that or their generation of time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, all right? We can't deny that that appointed time was not then. And that's how he uses the words, the exact same words that he's using here in Romans 8. He also uses it in Romans 11:5, and in the now appointed time, there is a remnant when it gets into the whole Israel, all of Israel will be saved and all that. We'll get to that later. Um, so another thing then of interest concerning the phrase the present time in the initial portion here of eight, verse 18 is that it's in contrast to the last portion of the verse, the time when God's glory would be revealed to them. Okay, so what what was meant by the glory to be revealed in them. Paul goes on in verse 21 to write of the glorious liberty of the children of God into which they would be delivered. Okay, now this is an action in their future. They were already God's children in one sense in verse 16, but the completion of his work related to the process of their becoming his legally forever established glorified children was yet to be accomplished. And then in verse 23, Paul referred to this glorification as the adoption or the redemption of their body. Okay, so how far into the future of these people would this glorification transpire? And that's when you have to say by the language that Paul is using here, it should be start to become obvious that it, it was obviously expected by him to occur within their lifetime, especially the use of the Greek term mellow that he uh, he chose in verse 18, okay, about, okay, about to. Um, I probably need to do an episode on the use of mellow in the New Testament, all right, the glory which is about to be revealed in us, all right? Um, I'm not going to say every lexicon, but so many use the phrase about to either as their definition or within their definition. All right. Um, uh, it, most say that mellow refers to what is about to be. It's on the point of occurring or immediately impending. All right. Uh, about to 81% of the time. Um, 
you know, it's 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 translated as about as about to eighty one percent of the time here, and one other translates it about. It says it's about to every in every single case it's used in the New Testament. Okay, so verse eighteen paraphrased says, "I consider that the sufferings of the appointed time now aren't worthy to be compared with the glory which is about to re- be revealed in us." All right, I'm gonna go a little bit more, and then I'll probably slice this up. Uh, and do uh, two episodes. Okay, but uh, let us then go to 19 and focus on this word creation or creature because it's interchangeable depending, okay? So, again, like the word mellow, there are numerous interpretations of this this word. We'll leave it up to you to dig up all that if you'd like, and there's some bizarre ones out there. that support misguided presuppositions and all that but um and and that's usually in reference to to the entirety of our existence okay plants animals humans um even the very plant itself with its grounds and its waters okay okay so how can it be interpreted like there's people who preach against taking a passage figuratively when it can when it can be understood literally, and then they force the passage to be figurative. So how can it be interpret, interpreted literally, right? Like, let's get the big picture of the, the general context and, and, then, and then look at the text, okay? Because throughout Romans, Paul is dealing with the theme of new covenant grace versus old covenant law. So it's like bookends, and he's emphasizing salvation by grace as opposed to the law, okay? Uh uh, all uh, chapter 1 16 and 17 all the way to chapters uh, or then the bookend is chapter 16 25 and 26 okay so after his big statement in chapter 1 we find him in chapter 2 going right into talking uh, in a negative sense about law okay the law being the epitome tome of law in general all right paul used the word law just w- without the definite article, okay, just law, not the law, nine times. And the definite article is 61 times. And so that comes to a total of 70 times in seven and a half chapters, okay, from the beginning of Romans up to our text that we're looking at. And then he wrote of the positive things, um, uh, only of grace, uh in contrast, or uh, a, a contradistinction to law could provide, okay, salvation, justification, righteousness, around the exact same number of times, 70, all right? So at least up from 1 to chapter 8, we see not only a difference between what the covenant covenants offered them, but also their transitional struggle of leaving behind an old mode of life for a new mode of life and this was spoken of as living according to or by the flesh okay as carnal way of thinking which is 
uh, brought up 20 times in the first seven and a half chapters versus living by or according to the Spirit, a godly way of thinking, which is emphasized 30 times in the first seven and a half chapters, okay? So, by the time Paul gets to chapter 8, he had the minds of his readers hungering for his solution to his rhetorical question in 724, O wretched man that am I, uh, or that I am, like who or what will deliver me from this body of death, okay? So we'll continue to consider this 18 through 23 in chapter 8, is that he's answering the problem of their groanings for them, okay? So what's the creation that's being spoken of here? And I believe it's God's own creation of his old covenant law system with its people, Israel. Okay, however, in this context, uh, one could be convinced, like Tony, that Paul had, had special reference to the faithful, those, the Christian Jews that are leaving the old covenant. Okay, his continuous remnant from one generation to the next, finally ending with the one in which Paul lived in the one that he's mentioning in Romans 11 5 the real Israel okay so he's primarily focused on the sufferings of God's true people those who have always been of faith from the beginning to the end okay Adam and Abel like Adam and Abel all the way up to his time okay so and when he starts his contrast between the first Adam to the last Adam, who is about to come for them in Romans 5, 14. So, that's where we're going at here, okay? So, four passages that speak about national Israel as being the people that God created, which was a set-apart or set-aside people for himself. We go to Isaiah 43, 1 and 7. Psalm 100, verse 3, and many others. Okay, Psalms 102, 18, where um, David prophesied of God's new people who were yet to be created. Then later in the New Testament, speaking of those who accepted Jesus as the Messiah as being his created, chosen, and set aside people in Ephesians 2, 10, 2.15 and 4.24. And following that, we find in Hebrews chapter 9.11 saying that Christ came as high priest of the good things about to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. What creation, right? This creation, the creation of all things related to national Israel and her whole, the whole her old tabernacle or temple service of the context in this chapter now consider Hebrews 9 relative to Romans 8 and I'll and I'll uh, I'll, end, I'll I'll end here and and start a, a second episode a part 2 okay so just as Hebrews 9 tells us about how that that present time still standing creation which was the temple with its zealots was facing its doom in the about to arrive 
perfect tabernacle at the time of Reformation. Romans 8 tells us about how that that present time groaning and eagerly expectant creation was facing it's about to arrive redemption. Okay, this is Hebrews 9. You read that verses 8 and 9, 10 and 11. Okay, and then Hebrews 8, 18, 22, 23, uh, 19, 20, all of it. Just read Hebrews 9, compare it to Romans 8. Okay, that seems to have too many parallels to deny this position. Okay, now we'll end there and then we'll come back and we will focus then on the revealing of the children or sons of God. All right, Ace, stay tuned for part two of this to finish up the wrap-up. If there's any comments, questions, disagreements, whatever, send them my way at the Kingdom Project Podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, be a mustard seed, be leavened. Thanks for listening. 